Welcome to Sex, Lies, and the Truth, a podcast devoted to the stories of people discovering biological family they didn't know about, digging for the truth, and learning who they really are. I'm Jody Klugman-Rab, a licensed marriage and family therapist with my own DNA story. My name is Christina Fitzgibbons. I'm a genetic and investigative genealogist. So I am so excited to introduce my cousin, Anthony. I did not know that Anthony was a cousin of mine. Was your cousin at all. I had no idea until three years ago, maybe. Close to three, yeah. We sort of stumbled upon each other. Anthony was adopted out of our family. I actually would love just to hear about your life growing up with your parents. Sure. Take it away. Um, it away. So, Wel- welcome and thank you. Thank this is you. super exciting. I have my own sex lies and the truth in my own family, just like everybody else does. Yes, I think it's um, every family has a little bit of that, right? You know, for me, in discovering this whole other family that's out there has been pretty uh, amazing and uh, just an amazing experience and journey. I discovered Christina through, I guess it was Ancestry was the first one. I received a DNA test kit um, as a birthday gift from my wife. It was really just to see, wow, what nationalities are you really? And so with that, that's what I thought I was going to get. Little did I know that on Ancestry, it linked you with other DNA relatives. Other people. And so I discovered that, that portion of it. Oh, sorry. Were you it, shocked when you um, logged in and could see like people's faces that you were related to? If, if they have pictures up, I could see the faces, but I just got names. Oh, yes. Um, right. yeah. If they put their full names or it was just right. a, a right. username. And if it was a close relative, first cousin, second cousin. And so you popped up towards the top. And when I discovered that, it blew me away, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be really interesting, and I don't know what to do from here, except I'm going to just let this you know, process and wait before I reach out. But before I did that, I got an email message from you asking you know, who I was, and, <laughs> and um, hey, I think we're related. How are we related? Do you know? And so I messaged back in a rant probably like, oh, my God, my name is Anthony Gomez. I was born in 1970. I was adopted. You know, who am I? Who are you? And <laughs> I have actually, how we I discovered do, each other. And, and from a, there, everything just blossomed. I do actually have all of those messages, our initial messages, because I loved them so much because I'm not looking for biological family. So when I log in to look You're at mine. You're not looking for your biological family. Yes, You're exactly. You're looking for everybody else's. I am. But sometimes <laughs> I'll look at mine and I'll see new relatives. I saw your picture and your name, you were high enough on the uh, page that I should know who you are. So I kind of looked at your picture and I think I pretty quickly was like, this is somebody who I don't know that I should know. I was even more sure that you were either a result of a paternity issue or a adoption. And I looked at your face and I'm pretty sure I know where where this person relates to me. Just by looking at your, your face. Photo. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, oh yeah. Okay. He's I think mine. we know. Yeah, so, yeah. Anthony, before we go on, can I just confirm, did you understand from the beginning that that this meant you were related to these people and it wasn't like a mistake? Because of your adoption, you were already primed to kind of expect that, right? That's, that's correct, okay. yes. I 
I knew I was adopted from when I was little. And so in this discovery of, of this, you know, through the DNA and, and this linking me on an ancestry with the other relatives, I knew that, you know, these were my, my blood related relatives and not from my adopted family. So that wasn't a surprise. It was just a surprise that the website did that. I had no clue. I was just merely looking for, <laughs> uh, you know, my, my ancestry history. So, right. was I related to um, Napoleon or, and, or exactly not? coming out a quarter Irish? I was, you know, that was another thing that blew me away. I'm like, okay, so I'm about a quarter Irish. This is really interesting. Right. And uh, I knew it was on my paternal side. All of it right. was new, and I was excited, but yet kind of scared. Like, okay, who who are you going to find, and what kind of people are these? So tell us about growing up and and your parents and your fa- your family. Growing up was great. I had a great childhood, great family, great friends, and I, for me, I guess it was just any normal you know childhood that I grew up in uh, in a small town in in California, um, Manteca or Manteca if you're you're Spanish, which Man- stands for large fat. So I grew up in. In fact, <laughs> you grew up um, close to where you were born. So, did you ever have a feeling that your biological family might be near you? I did. You know, there was just so many possibilities that were out there. You know, for me, growing up, I was always wondering if I met somebody new or dating somebody. Like, oh my God, this you know can be a relative. I had no idea. <laughs> um, you do have a really pretty sister that lives near you, so that was. Uh, that's actually possible. Yes, yes, and <laughs> yes. cousins and all kinds of other, you know, it, it's just, that I was cognizant of that growing up, but it, it came and went in and out of my mind um, growing up just because I knew that I was adopted early on, probably since, I don't know, anywhere between five and seven, I think is when I found out. Um, I can't pinpoint the age, but it was, I was really young. And how did you take that? What was it like when you learned that news? You know, that's a great question. So you have to go back to a mind of a child and, right. and that, you know, what, what cognitive capacity can you have at that age and, and process? I think my first thoughts were, wait a second, you're not my mom and dad? And then just trying to figure that out. Well, if you're not my mom and dad, then who is? Uh, and I know that they tried to explain the whole adoption thing to me. And again, as, you know, a five or seven year old, just trying to understand that as best that you could. So I think it took a long time to process and really try to figure out what that meant. But as, you know, time grew, you know, went on and I grew up, I mean, that was, that's my family. So when I refer to my mom and dad, I mean, that's my mom and dad, my sister, my family, you know, I don't feel about them any differently than I would any other family. I mean, that's, that is my family. Um, It's just growing up in the back of my head, I always knew that there's other family out there and potential siblings and, and that whole other thing. I never let that, I think, consciously interfere with with my my family. You know, I had a great, great life growing up. Yeah, your sense of family was intact early on because you had already identified with them and just learning that there was different biology didn't necessarily change that. Correct. That's, That's nice. 100% correct. Uh, did your parents support you looking for biological family? Was there support or were they had you guys talked about it? I think we had talked about it maybe a couple of times. 
as I was growing up, you know, getting into the teen years. So I think there was support, but at the same time, I never felt like wanted to or needed to do that at, at that particular time. Anyway, there was support and it was, it was communicated to me that, you know, it's understandable if I'm curious and want to know, but uh, we, we never really had too many direct or, or lengthy conversations about it. It was, you know, just a very small snapshot uh, throughout my history. And so as I can't remember the first time I, I actually tried, maybe I was in about 20, 21. I, I looked for non-identifying information through the adoption agency. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And I, and I did receive some feedback, but other than that, I, I didn't really try to look, I was curious, but at the same time, I just felt like when I'm ready, I'm, I'm going to be ready whenever that is. And I just, you know, went through life thinking that way. So I'm going to read you the first message that I sent you. Uh, I was possibly knowing that you might be adopted, but I literally wrote two sentences. All I wrote was, let me know if you need help on your tree. (laughs) I can do so confidentially. That was my in. And you go, hello, my name is, oh, it was two days later. Wow. You're keeping me on my, keeping me on the edge of my seat. Uh, My name is Anthony Gums. And yes, it does look like we're closely related, but I'm not sure where the connection is. I was adopted at birth in San Joaquin County, and I only have limited non-identifying information about my birth mother, but no information on my birth father. Well, I don't know if she had information on your birth father either, but I was born on April 8th, 1970 at San Joaquin County Hospital in French Camp, California. My birth mother was around 19 years old when she had me. I believe her family is from El Salvador, but she was raised in the Stockton area. I would love to find out exactly how, where our connection is and more about my true family history. So if you can provide any help or info, it will be greatly appreciated. And I was like, I bet I can help. Call me. Because <laughs> you had no idea who you were dealing with. Here Little bit go. I know. I hit the genealogy jackpot. And I kept showing your picture to my sister. I go, what is this? Who is this? She was like, I don't, I don't know. And I go, no, no, no. Look again. Then we got all snoopy and interested. <laughs> and we he, find he out. is your uncle's son. Uh, once Anthony and I had connected um, on Ancestry and I went through your DNA and confirmed you were related to me through my mother's side, I was fairly sure that you were my mother's brother's son. I just, looking at your picture, I said, he looks so much like my uncle Reed and that whole side of the family. But, you know, reading your message too, saying that you knew the birth mother was from El Salvador, I could see that you were mixed with our side and her side, uh, but you really had a strong resemblance to my uncle. Again, I was really excited for you because I knew how non-judgmental and sort of casual, and I say the word casual, but I did not think my uncle was going to have a negative reaction. You know, you did your due diligence and tried to rule everything out and make sure that we could focus on Reed. And, you know, you communicated that and you sh- you ended up showing me his picture, and I looked at his picture. I think there was one; it was older, and then one from when he was, like when, when he was an adult, and then one when he was in high school. Yeah. And I looked at those pictures, and I thought, "Oh my god!" I know. <laughs> like, yeah, I know where this is going. Uh-huh. And so we we had discussed that, and and we said, "Okay, this has to be it. Let's let's continue to move forward." And. You said you were going to initiate contact with him and have a discussion with him uh, to see what he knows or remembers. 
And I, I think once she did that, then we ended up taking a swab test. Right. We had the DNA through a commercial website, which is, um, you know, through Ancestry and and it showed your relation to me and to other people in our family. He had not taken a DNA test through one right. of those sites. So it was not 100% confirmed. And so, He eventually yeah. did, though. He, he did. So um, after we had connected, I think I purchased and sent out uh, an identigene uh, paternity test that you can get oh. at, like, literally at Walgreens. Okay. Um, or CV, you know, a CVS something like it's a just paternity mm-hmm. and it's not like one of the commercial tests where it's the autosomal test, which includes um, mom and dad. And it sort of gives you a, a bigger picture. It just says yes or no. You know, that was lovely to be purchasing a paternity, a paternity te- drug test at my local drugstore with in my little town. I'm sure I was literally so worried that someone's going to be like, well, I saw Christina. CVS and she was buying a paternity test and then all of a sudden that's how the rumors get started yeah uh, it was actually I actually purchased two that day one for you and one for somebody else mm-hmm. not me and so now what kind of relationship do you have we have a good relationship we talk on the phone at least once a month um sometimes it's every couple of weeks but at least, at least once a month we'll, we'll give each other a call and we'll talk on the phone about 45 minutes to an hour. And we, we met, um, we met at Christina's, uh, about a year ago, yeah. maybe a little bit more. Yeah. Um, you have to refresh my mind, Christina, yeah, I think it was last but summer, we, summer. we did meet and we had a, a good meeting. Oh, it's just surreal. <laughs> yeah. It's a little it, awkward, isn't it? Yeah. So surreal to see, you know, you see the pictures, you hear the voice, and then you're, you know, present in front of this person who you resemble and who you have never had any resemblance to anyone in your family before. But all of a sudden, here's this person and it's just, it's amazing. And Christina's right. His attitude about it was perfect. Not judgmental. He was, you know, all in the whole thing. And to the, to the point to where... He was like, okay, I have a son now. I'm going to drive and come and see you. Where are you at? He didn't realize I was in Texas. He thought I was in California. So he was ready to, you know, once it was confirmed, ready to jump into his truck and drive on down and meet me. So I mean, isn't that amazing? And it's so interesting to me, too, because neither of you are needy people. It was almost like you were at the same level of what you guys both wanted, which was exactly what you have right now. You know, you just, it was, you're like, this is me. I want my information. And you got lucky. He had a lot of great information for you, except he didn't have a lot of information about your birth mother. Oh. Right. Story right. Yeah. Well, I, I'll, I'll let you maybe talk a little bit about birth mom. Sure. I'm not where, sure where to start. Well, I, I guess, well, I guess we can start with Reed. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> with him and his story, because, sure, that was the burning question of, you know, do you know who this woman is? And, and no, he didn't, he, he didn't recall anything <laughs> really. Um, he had to search his memory banks cause that was a long time ago. And it was the sixties, it was 1969. And he, it was very, he's very vocal and open about, you know, hanging out at the river and partying with his friends. Um, like a lot of other people yeah. were doing. So yeah, he probably like like most people from the '60s has limited uh, memory of 
some drug-induced memory problems of the yeah. shena- of the shenanigans. <laughs> yeah. I, I was I was really trying to be kind, but that that's accurate. That's an accurate picture. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, I, so the bottom line up front is, you know, I'm a love child. I'm a product of that <laughs> that era. He he told a story. Uh, he remembers meeting. Uh, a uh, young Latina girl out at a park, you know, and his friends were, were out there hanging out, partying, and and this person showed up and hung out and started to get acquainted, and I guess they took it to the, the beach by the, the river, uh, the Delta, and they continued to party, and things happened, and... Oh, yeah, they did. And that was it. That was, that was it. That was the one, one time that he remembers meeting her. He doesn't remember meeting her again, he would often show up at the same park and hanging out, wondering if he was going to see her again, and he said he never did. So, it was a one-park uh, park. It was, She it was is a also one- a mystery to him. Well, he went to that river every weekend for many years, so I think if there was an opportunity for him to see her again, uh, he would have... He was hoping. Well, he probably was like, hey, I remember that girl. All right. Yeah. So then they went their separate ways, it sounds like? It, it sounds like... Uh, I'm not really sure, you know, again, the, the memories that at least he has, I don't know what she has, can be a little suspect. What's interesting is that through investigating, mostly from Christina, you know, it's come to the realization that they both have mutual friends that they still know. I think there's a lot to the story that I don't know, that we don't know. I can only speculate. I truly believe that he's telling the truth when he doesn't recall and, and doesn't know. But there's so many similarities of of friends that they share, even on Facebook. I think she knows, or she finally made a connection years later and realized potentially that who I thought the father was maybe isn't, and it's this other person that I know. Mm-hmm. Or or maybe she just doesn't remember. You know, again, it's that era. So, and there's no judging. Are you under the impression that she did not know it was him? So the non-identifying information I received from the adoption agency, she gave a description of the father, which was, I guess it was really inaccurate. <laughs> No, she said he yes. was Caucasian. She got that part right. She did get, yeah. But everything else didn't line up. I, I think she said, you know, he was Protestant, and she gave a certain height and all this stuff, and it just she said he wore it didn't glasses. match up. Yeah. So she either yeah. lied about it or she truly just didn't know. Do you have a relationship with her? No, I've tried. So it was really easy for Christina to figure out who BioDad is. It took, I think, a year for her to track down uh, my biological mother. Yes. Once we were pretty positive who it was, I sent her a certified letter and through Christina's recommendation. So one, we know that she signed for it um, or somebody signed for it and read it. I initiated contact with her and I waited for a few months and I never received anything back. Oh, but that must have been I did know that somebody with her same initials signed for that letter. So I knew that somebody received it. And I sent it, by the way, for her to receive it on my birthday. So I sent it overnight on April 7th, and she received it on April 8th and signed for it. So happy birthday to me. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I know. Well, and it was such a big risk, too, because you were ready for this part. So, you know, it was happening. 
Um, and it just so happened, I think, it, the timing of when I found her was the week of your birthday. I, I liked that you did it that day because it sort of gave you the best chances of, you know, her knowing that you were, you know, not a fraud or something else. So in the in the letter uh, was a really brief as it should be yeah letter jody knows all jody knows all about the certified letters i do the certified letter also (laughs) did nothing for me yeah my my bio dad wouldn't have any of it yeah in fact he didn't even sign for it did he he refused it yeah he refused it (laughs) oh wow that was that was a good one yeah good times with bio parents right i wrote it without wanting to put pressure or seemed like I was judgmental. I think I even spelled it out. Hey, what happened then happened then, you know, there's, there's no judgment. I've had a great life. You know, I just introduced myself, let her know that I was very open and receptive to the situation, no matter what. And I was hoping at the very least to, to hear some feedback from her and at the most to have some sort of relationship, whatever that could be. And uh, I I never respond back. Right. And I think in that letter, and I do this, I think even with Jody's, like the basics that I believe that you're entitled to, which are acknowledgement, what the story is, right? If there is a story to be remembered about the circumstances between uh, him or her with the other parent and medical information. And really those three things are where I believe people are morally obligated to respond. You know, you're not entitled to a um, meet and greet, even though I, I, I do think that's the a, sort of the fourth thing that you should have, but you're not, you know, entitled to an invitation to holiday dinner. <laughs> but with those three other things, when there is no response, you know, I, 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 I have a problem with that because I think those are minimal things that you're entitled to. You know, I was not going to let it end there for you, for sure. Well, I think the key thing you said is acknowledgement. I, I think in the end, at least for me, but I imagine for for most people that are adopted and you have you make this discovery, is to have that acknowledgement. And I never received that. So that from that point sense. on, it was, you know, almost needing some validation from her that, Yes, you do exist. Yes, I gave birth to you. You and know, and that, that took valid. an extraordinary long time to get from her. And I even, I didn't even get it that directly. It was more indirectly. As you were sort of clamoring for that little tiny bit of information, of course, it's upsetting because, again, you're not asking for a lot. And you've got other people in your biological family on your mother's side Um, who did acknowledge you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? In waiting for feedback from my biological mother, Rose, we did discover information about my aunt, her her sister, and then half-siblings. And I think we found email addresses and phone numbers and Facebook information and all that stuff. So I knew how to contact them, or at least we had leads to contact after months, I think half a year went by probably, and not receiving any feedback, I thought about reaching out to um, my aunt on that side, Linda. And I had a few different phone numbers that I could try. I had a Facebook and all this stuff. So 
Uh, I did. I tried various phone numbers. Some of them did not work. One of them led Gene. That was like an old school answering machine. It didn't have a person's voice. It was more of a robot voice. And I left a message. And then I reached out through Facebook and sent a... Well, actually, the first time I tried to send a Facebook message, it wouldn't let me send it. God, how frustrating. You're trying so hard to make contact. It was. Yeah, it was frustrating. And I waited a couple of days. And the interesting thing is, after a few days, I went back and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try it again. And I went to send a message and it went through. I didn't do anything different. I, I hadn't. I don't know why it went through. Maybe it was more than a few days. Maybe it was like a month. But the second time it went through and I woke up the next morning and I found a reply back from her. Oh, and wow. It was a it was a very sweet welcoming message, and she gave me some validation. And I think some of the words that she she wrote back to me were, "I was wondering when you were going to find us," and I'm like, "Oh my god!" So we had a good Facebook messaging back and forth um, that night. Just got started to get to know one another, and of course, you know, I'm wanting to know about my biological mom, you know, her sister, yeah. and how everything played out, and what are her feelings on this, and going back to that letter that I sent, you know, Linda confronted her sister about it, and she didn't acknowledge that she received the letter, and then, you know, Linda replied back to her, but you signed for it, it was certified, <laughs> and then it was like, okay, you're busted, so then, yes, she acknowledged that she received the letter, but she didn't know what to do, and then there was all this drama that played out for, for quite some time over the letter and how to respond. Meanwhile, I developed a great relationship with my aunt, and I think one of the best things that came out of it was the realization that my grandmother, their mom was still alive, and she, at that time she was 99, so she was wow. approaching her 100th birthday. So did you meet your grandmother? I did. It was before her birthday. It was, I think, that October... It was a whirlwind of a trip. <laughs> I spent the one day meeting Christina and um, my my bio dad and, and that side of the family one day. And then the next day, I met the other side, except for uh, uh, my biological mother. But I met my aunt and my grandmother and my cousins. And it was just like... It happened in one second, you know. Um, it's overwhelming. And it was just, it was, it was in a way overwhelming, although emotionally I didn't feel overwhelmed. Uh, I, I wish I had more time hmm. is really what I left feeling like, oh my God, I want, I want more time um, with everybody. And it's just, you know, time that I didn't have, unfortunately. So mom has some limitations that she's not capable of engaging, right? Yes. And so I think for a long time, Christina and I and Aunt Linda tried to figure out why was she not engaging? And I think that's still somewhat of a question today. Yeah, it sounds unresolved. It is. I think she feels it's resolved, but I still don't. A lot has happened since then, so I don't know where to start with all of that. But I, I guess it'll start with, so I met, I met my aunt. Uh, we tried to get Rose to engage, and for whatever reasons, you know, we could speculate, but she she didn't. She was having a difficult time. Although the interesting thing was, she loved 
the messages that I was sending and the pictures of myself growing up, of my children, her grandchildren. You guys were filtering messages through the aunt. Um, yeah, yeah. Linda was our go-between. Yeah. Um, unfortunately for Linda. I wonder if she just didn't feel safe about engaging with this, maybe because of some shame, and she couldn't get over it. That could be one of the things. One of one of many. The thing that she kept saying was, "Well, what are what are my other grandchildren going to think of me? What are other people going to think of me?" Yeah, that's shame. But you also have children, and so they are grandchildren biologically. Well, what are they going to think? That their yeah. biological grandmother thought more of her other grandchildren yes. with regard to what they were going to think. That, I think, is a higher-ordered way of thinking that probably mm-hmm. isn't conscious right. up front. Because right. I, I think when you're dealing with the shame, that you have this sort of unconscious collection of stuff that you're fighting against, and you aren't 100% aware or even able to articulate it a lot of the time. Until somebody kind of holds your feet to the fire and says, well, wait a minute, why aren't you accepting of me? Why aren't you responding to me? And then you're, you're kind of forcing them to face that. And it's just nebulous and uncomfortable and easy to avoid in order to deal with the discomfort better. It, it's just how it sounds. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense. And I consciously tried to give her the space and take all the time that she needed. So I wasn't necessarily you know, trying to put pressure. It was just, you know, conversations through my aunt every now and then. And, hey, have you heard from her? How is she doing? And um, tell her I said hello whenever you speak with her again. I was trying to not put pressure and, and put her in an uncomfortable or defensive position. Oh, but that's, that's not what I did. <laughs> yeah. I did did the opposite. (laughs) You did the opposite. But, you know, time went on. The shooting massacre in Las Vegas occurred, and that struck a chord with me for many reasons. But, Mm -hmm. you know, that life is too short. You never know what's going to happen and when. And so here I'm trying to initiate some kind of contact with her and have her, you know, be receptive of that. At the same time, I know that I have a brother and sister that are out there that know nothing of me. And at this point, you know, mm-hmm. there's been a lot of time that's passed. Yeah, that's and not okay. so they are still unaware of still my existence. Now? No, they know now. Okay. They know now. I, what happened in Las Vegas, I, I sent a text to, to Rose, my biological mom, and explained to her that you know, life is short. We just, we never know. And we need to take advantage of the opportunities that we have in front of us. And I was, if she wasn't interested in meeting me or initiating contact with me, that I understood. But that doesn't mean that other people wouldn't want to. And I want them to decide for themselves. Good for you. And, and so with that, I told her that I had both um, brother and sister's contact information and I was going to reach out to them unless she objected and gave me a reason why. And so I told her I would give her 24 hours to get back to me. Well, nice. Which is interesting as well because you really had given her months and months, technically. Yes. But, yeah. but now this you is know, feet to the fire. Months, oh, yeah. Like like I months said. a year yeah. had gone by. And, and so I gave her the opportunity to at least object, you know, me reaching out to them. 
And I said, and I, I think I said something that if you don't reply, that means that you're okay with me reaching out to them and giving me the green light to do so. That's right, Tessa. In other words, it was, if you can't do it, I'm going to do it for you. Like, if you're afraid to reach out to them and let them know that I exist, I'm going to do this work for you. I'm so jazzed right now. And that is so exciting. You guys are all old enough to, you know. And, and, and my yes. siblings were all were also in their 40s. I mean, we're all right. have spouses, have children. Right. And it's, it's we're not, all yeah. grown adults. Yeah. And it's also, I tell people a lot, you know, it's a different time now. Finding out that you have siblings from a parent who had this event happened to them in the sixties or fifties or whatever. It's not, it's, it's a different time and we're much more accepting of those things. So, you know, maybe for her, she was worried about those things or not, but I am glad that you gave her the opportunity to talk with them first herself. Did she do that? She didn't respond to my message. She not didn't do any, yeah. anything. Her silence to me was go ahead and contact them. I had, at that point I had, developed a good enough bond and relationship with uh, with my aunt that I had a lot of you know information about the family and personalities and we felt best that my brother Miles would be the one that I would contact seemed like he would be the most um, open and receptive I sent him an email I sent him a LinkedIn message I sent him uh, a text message um, it's like carpet and, bombing. Oh gosh, yeah, you're like, here I come. <laughs> yeah, well, I wanted to make sure that you know he was going to receive what I was sending, and I didn't yeah. know, you know, if he was on Facebook really, or if he was on LinkedIn, or if he would respond to the text. So, actually, I got a reply back the next morning because uh, I sent it, I think, on a Saturday evening, and I didn't hear anything Saturday evening. It was funny because I, I joked with my wife. I bet, like, he's on a date night with his wife. Like, the kids are, you know, they're being taken care of by somebody else. They're out on a date night, and they're enjoying their, their own date night. And actually, that came to fruition. It, that's exactly what was going on. I didn't know it, but I was just guessing. But um, And I told my aunt, I told my cousin on that side, Christy, what I was doing. And so the next morning, I received... I think it was a phone call or a text. Maybe it was a phone call from Christy. And she said, oh, my God, I got a, a, a call from Miles, and he saw your message, and he was wondering if I was playing a joke on him because we always joke around or we used to joke around like that, and he thought I was pranking him. <laughs> you know, he's going to respond. And, and Yeah, that's, that's so a pretty I, I waited, and I waited, and yeah, a few hours later, I received a text message from him saying he just really couldn't believe it and he was trying to process it all and he was going to think about things and he was going to get back to me and I was going to hear from him shortly. The interesting thing was he didn't want to have a phone conversation until we met. He wanted to meet first face to face. This is the part that is interesting to me. How Miles managed this new relationship or this revelation. It was, it actually is, I've never in my life ever heard of anybody going about it this way but and in in all fairness there's no blueprint for this there really. isn't but it, it also is except for now that there is kind oh, of yeah. that we're doing this <laughs> <laughs> but what so he did not want to have any phone calls he only wanted to email or text with you until you met with him that's correct all of us might handle things differently i i would have been on the phone immediately of if that was my situation, but I tried to put myself in his shoes and I tried to be, you know, empathetic. 
um, to how he was feeling and wondering what was going on as best I could. And so it was a little bit disappointed, but uh, okay, I, you know, I've come this far and it's taken a long time. It's going to take a little bit longer and that's okay. Um, he needs to process, process things in his own way or deal with it in his own way. And that's okay. I'll wait for the time that we meet. And I, it was a couple of months later when we did meet up in in New York. He lives on the East Coast. And so we finally did. We finally did meet and had a face-to-face. And it was a very quick 24-hour turnaround. But it, we had a great time. And we got along great. And I thought that we were going to be able to bridge a lot of gaps and cross a lot of hurdles. And, you know, there were a lot of things that he communicated to me uh, about you know, how he grew up and he expressed disappointment that his mom and his dad were, were not forthcoming about me. Um, cause his, his dad had known uh, about me. I think they met actually met while she was still pregnant with me, but they've known all this time and didn't tell anybody. So he was disappointed in that. And then when, you know, he found out and he confronted them, they were slower to react or he didn't receive feedback from them that I, I guess he felt like, he should have received. So he was disappointed with that as well. But he felt confident that we could bridge gaps and we had our grandmother's 100th birthday party coming up. And so the idea was that we would all be there and had bridged these gaps well before then so we could all be there comfortably. And he was going to take the next step with, uh, with our mom to make sure that that happened. Unfortunately, that didn't take place. She came out and visited with him. In New York. He said that he he didn't speak with her about it because he had to leave on business. He, he had a short time with her. For whatever reason, the conversations didn't happen. Or maybe they did, but he told me that they never happened. And so we approached Grandma's 100th birthday, and it, I was told to essentially not go because of our mom and she needed to be there. And if I was going to be there, she wouldn't go. And all this drama started to ensue. And from, from grandmother's side, she specifically requested that I be there. Yeah. It's, it's her birthday. She gets to decide. (laughs) Yes. I feel like I'm caught in the middle here a bit because on one hand, you know, grandmother wants me to be there. Everybody else wants me to be there and I want to be there. But then at the same time, I'm trying to be, empathetic to my biological mother and and not interfere because yes she should be there kind of at the last minute i made a decision to show up after everybody was gone so they had their party and after everybody left then i showed up and had my visit with grandma and that's the way that it played out and i felt like by doing that i was respectful to everybody that nobody like nobody could complain. I didn't interfere. I wasn't there. But then at the same time, you know, I got to see grandmother on her birthday and, and be there for her. Yeah. And then you also remained hidden like you had been all of these years. Yes. I'm still a secret. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. Um, I'm still a secret. What I thought was a noble deed ended up getting turned around against me. And from my brothers and my mom's side, uh, they felt that I was very deceitful they felt that I had undermined them because I found out that I, I ended up going there. I think that they used that to to push me away from them. Okay. Um, the last like they might communication I received from my brother 
was, hey, I heard that you you showed up and my mom saw a picture on Facebook of, of you being there. And, you know, we had a phone call and I discussed it with him, what happened. And he, he just didn't agree with what I did and how I went about it and felt like I deceived everybody. And, and essentially he just said, hey, th- I'm going to take some time to think about this. I don't know what to do. And I haven't heard from him since. That was almost a year ago. Sounds to me like they were looking for an excuse right. to yeah. disengage from you and they were going to find one one way or the other. I mean, I think that the message you received from Miles, the brother, was really inappropriate and really just rude. I'll never understand why he thinks he you did something. Yeah. Story. yeah, like he's he's not clearly he's not in charge of managing it. If I may, can I get on my soapbox for a moment? Absolutely. She's a professional, so she can get there. As a therapist, I have a lot of understanding around this in a very trained and particular way. And then I also have a personal understanding of it, having gone through this myself. But our mission in doing this podcast is to educate and help people understand what goes on for the people in our position, the NPEs or the parental identifiers, as I call them. Uh And I think it is essential that the biological family or even the adopted family, whoever feels like they have ownership of this story and how it goes, needs to understand 120% they do not. They have ownership of this story while we, the NPEs or parental identifiers, are minors. And when we become of age and it is our responsibility to manage our own lives, we own the story. They do not have any right to control how something goes or whether or not you have contact with any other family members. That is cruel, in my opinion. And I agree with Christina that there are some basic inalienable rights, just based on the fact that we are humans, that we should have access to our story not just our immediate family from our birth story, but our ancestral story as well. Who are the people that I come from that have any sort of impact into who I am and an access to meet anybody who is willing. If anybody is willing to be met and start any type of relationship, then that should be allowed and granted. So I'll get off my soapbox now and just say (laughs) I'm really, really sorry that that didn't happen for you. Well, th- thank you for that. And you're right. We we do own our own story. You know, in this situation, when he essentially told me, you blew it. You didn't listen to me. You didn't do as I said. And now this may never happen. Yeah, you're in time out. Uh, just, yeah, you're in really a turnoff. And so that's on you. But from now on, I am no longer a secret. So whenever the, my aunt, you know, posts, or cousin on that side posts up on Facebook, I respond to it and I refer to them as my cousin or my tia or um, or abuela, my grandmother. And whoever sees it, sees it. And if they question who I am, good, question it because I'll give you a response. Unfortunately, you know, my grandmother's she's going to approach her 101st birthday soon, and you know that time's going to come where she's going to pass, and we want to celebrate her life. And I am going to show up to celebrate her life. I'm not going to be told to know you shouldn't go so our mom could be there. They're just going to have to deal with it and who I am. I'm I'm no longer going to be a secret. I sent my biological mother some 
roses on Mother's Day. Uh, I didn't put anything on a card other than Happy Mother's Day. A simple, clean, clear message. I'm, st- I'm thinking of you on Mother's Day. And that prompted, <laughs> it prompted, I guess, more drama. I spoke with my aunt about that, and she said my biological mother's husband had contacted my aunt and was upset with my aunt because my aunt gave me their address. Uh, well, but I had already given you that address, so. Well, I, I had already had, I mean, I sent the letter oh, that's true. at that that's point right, a year can... and a half ago. <laughs> and so my aunt explained to him, what do you mean? I didn't give him your address. He's had it for a long time. He sent that letter back in April, and he was confused. Mm. He didn't know about the letter? <laughs> so apparently, Rose didn't tell him about the letter, didn't oh. mention anything, and so he was just upset that I had had their address and I'd sent them something and it appears that he was kind of kept into the dark about some of this. And and so the conversation that my aunt finally had with my biological mother was, you need to take care of this one way or the other. You need to you know, send him something, acknowledge him, say yes. something. And so about, I think, three weeks later, she sent me an email. Bio mom sent me um, a le- an email saying that she was thankful I ended up you know, in a, with a great family and I had a great life and that her decision was the right one to make all those years ago, um, but that the door was now closed. You know, please don't contact me or any of my family from this point on. There's something there with her husband that is preventing her from coming forward. And thinking about the description of how my brother said, you know, they grew up, their family, yeah, I can see that he may not be, you know, too too happy or or wanting to engage in this particular area. Yeah, I don't know what bad memories come up from her and and him with all this, but there's there's definitely many things there, and I think he he as in uh, my biological mother's husband plays a big role than what I thought. The text actually from. Aunt Linda to her sister, your birth mom. She says, I don't care to have Randy text me and accuse me of giving Anthony your address. First of all, Anthony has had all of our addresses for two years. Phone numbers, everything. I'm not his handler. I like that, right? All right, Linda. I know I should have said this long ago. One of you has to tell Anthony to stop. Don't be afraid of him. I got pulled in because you never acknowledged that letter he sent you. You should have said from then, I don't want to meet you, go away. But not saying anything just caused him to contact me. Now I'm in this fucking mess that I did not create. But Randy seems to have the need to put me at fault. I have not talked to Anthony for three months, so I think you need to tell him to stop. As for meeting him, I asked you if it was all right. Mom wanted to meet him. You said yes. Apparently, Randy says, I should not have asked you anything. This is so ridiculous. Unfortunately, sometimes we have to face our problems and not avoid them because they just get worse as time goes by. You can just tell Randy. He needs to fucking stop accusing me. I don't appreciate getting shit texts from him. That's going to give us an E-explicit rating. Well, those are the best ratings. What now? Yeah, I know. How are you feeling now about mm-hmm. everything with birth mom? I don't, I don't think about it too often. Wow. Um, I focus on the positive relationships that I have with, with you, Christine. Christina, um, with Reed, with 
with Karen and with Aunt Linda and Cousin Christy and Abuela. Uh, as a matter of fact, last weekend, uh, no, it was for Thanksgiving. They video called me for Thanksgiving and I got to, you know, we got to video exchange pleasantries and happy Thanksgivings with, with Abuela and everybody over oh, Thanksgiving. It was, was really cool. I love so that. I focus on that yeah. and I try to not put much energy in the negative. Although from time to time it's, it's there, I know it's there, and I know that there will be another time to deal with it. I just don't know how or when, but I know it's not over. Right. I know partially it's not over because I'm not one to let it be over until I say it's over. Because <laughs> it's my story. I'm going to write the ending. Oh, oh yeah. Um, That's and That's what I if, like. <laughs> If that means that I have to fly wherever I have to fly to, to where, where Rose is at, and show up and introduce myself to let her know, I'm real, I'm here, you have to face me, and that's all I need, then that's what I'm going to do. I want to face her face-to-face just so I could lay my eyes on my biological mother, and she could lay her eyes on me. And if after then we part ways and never hear from one another again, then I think that will give me the closure that I need. Amen. And when you do that, can we have the footage of it, please? Yeah. Uh, You know, she's never answering her door. She's totally going to start wearing disguises all over. Or she'll pull what my bio dad did and say that it's not her. Oh, that's true. Yeah, Jody's dad did say, yeah. I don't know who you're talking about. Yeah, he doesn't live here. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking maybe we can try to, like, um, find a book or something for her to read, and maybe we could send it to her about how to deal with the realities of life. I'm now, trying to write know. that book right now. So sh- Jody will write it, so hurry up and write it. <laughs> I'm trying. We'll send a um, first copy autographed. Oh, I, I found out that she's actually, they're actually going to move to Connecticut where Miles is at. Um, I don't know when, but... So I might end up flying to Connecticut instead of Bay Area having to do this, but then I can confront my brother at the same time. In my mind's eye, the way that I see this playing out is I... You know, she comes out of work or she comes out of wherever, and it's just her and I one-on-one. There's nobody else around her for her to go to or lean on or run away. It's, It's here I am. Yeah, she's gonna be like she's gonna have like she's gonna have a heart brass, attack. brass knuckles or something. Yeah. Um, we're, well, we might have to discuss how this is gonna go down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just hoping that she will, on her own, come around so that you don't have to do that. Well, you're gonna give I, her some time. So I'm gonna say, as the the professional therapist here, that I'm gonna say she's not she's not gonna do it ever. Or she would have already. Because she's operating with whatever personality structure or family dynamics at play that are keeping her hobbled, where she's not really capable of taking full ownership of her stuff. The the interesting thing, so the last communication that I had, well, I didn't have with her that, that email after Mother's Day, but the last contact that was initiated to her was maybe two or three months ago from my wife. Um, My wife sent her an email, an amazing, beautifully written email from a mother to another mother. And I'll have to send it to you. And look, we we knew that she wasn't going to respond. 
but if she read it, I can't imagine that it didn't hit home somewhere. Um, my, my wife asked me for permission. Can I send this to her? I've written this, you know, a long time ago and, and I read it and I'm just like, oh my God, it was so emotional. And I'm like, you know, absolutely. So one of the things I've noticed in interviewing people and seeing clients like I have with this biological discovery is that you have so many obstacles to deal with. One is identity, one is grief. And the other one, which is a lot harder, and you've touched on a little bit more so than most, is the pace at which you have to meet the rest of the players in the story. And that you, you know, like you and I, chomping at the bit, trying to get meetings arranged and contact made, and we want knowledge and we want connection and we want to be accepted and everything else that goes with that. And then we also have to come face to face with the fact that some people don't want that and others do, but it has to be at their pace as well. And you, you have to match this pace with your own. And it's so frustrating. Do you feel like that was true for you as well? Uh, yes, I do. Um, the way that you describe that is so um, profound, pragmatic. So yes. So I, again, I, you know, I brought up before I had some life distractors that um, if I didn't have, I probably would have been more frustrated and more focused, but I was working full time. I have a family, um, during my initial discovery, I was, I went back to school. So I was finishing up, um, my, my bachelor's degree. Now I'm actually finishing up my master's degree. So I thought all of this stuff going on, which was a great distractor in some ways, because it stopped me from being, being more frustrated. You know, I had to focus my energy on other things. But at the same time, I developed um, through t- through this time some really good emotional intelligence that allowed me to be empathetic. Maybe more empathetic than I should be, but definitely more empathetic than I would have been otherwise um, if I hadn't had gone through you know my bachelor's degree and and, and some of these other things where I, I was learning all of this stuff at the same time. I was I was you know, really working on myself to build a better self at the same time. And so if, if I didn't have that distractor and those tools, I probably would have been very impatient um, and would have been more confrontational. It's just a journey. Everybody's journey is different. And you have to be able to, like you said, some people you have to meet them where they're at and then figure that out. I think that's the most important thing. Where, where are they at? You have to understand, you know, how, how they're feeling. Here comes this person that's blindsiding them and coming into their life. Wow. I have a brother I had never known about. That means that my children have an uncle that, Oh my God. Um, or a nephew I never knew about looking at it from that perspective and then trying to gauge where they're at has helped me be more patient and and try to figure out my approach. You know, in hindsight now, it didn't maybe matter how I handled it. She may not have the tools to deal with the complexity of the emotion that she's going through in the first place. Thank you for saying that. I think that was uh, the perfect way to wrap up our, our podcast today. It helps people understand that there are human beings going through this. And even though we may not be known and we may be secrets. 
but we are still human beings with feelings and needs, and they need to approach us just like that, as though it were them going through this and not us. So thank you for saying so. Well, thank you very much for, for giving me the opportunity to talk about my journey. It's, uh, it's rewarding. It was nice to virtually meet you, Anthony. Yes. And Likewise. Uh, do me a favor. Um, if you have some um, inkling to head over to Birth Mom's house and knock on her door, um, let me know, please. <laughs> yes, I will. We hoped you liked this episode, and if you did, please give it a five-star review on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. If you want to get in touch with Christina or me, you can find us at sexliesandthetruth.com. I'm Jody Klugman-Rab. Thanks for listening. If you are a fan of Sex, Lies, and the Truth and want to support us, you can do that through Patreon. Patreon is a really cool platform where fans of shows like ours can pledge a small amount each month, even just a few dollars, to support the show. You can find us there at www.patreon.com forward slash sex lies and the truth.